you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Last week we began um, uh, to look at this chapter and we focused mostly on the first eight verses, uh, which deal with these beasts that arise out of the sea. And um, this language and the way that these chapters are written from Daniel 7 through chapter 12 is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic simply means a revealing. And so what's happening here is that the curtain behind the true nature of things is pulled back and we are shown the, the, uh, the workings of God behind the scenes as he orders his creation, as he governs it according to his appointed ends. And so last week we focused upon these various beasts that arose out of the sea. The sea is symbolic of the sea of chaos and of the nations around us. And we had said that these beasts are symbolic of uh, the, the nations in terms of their program of decreation, of undoing the good order that God has established in his creation. Remember in the beginning, after God made all things, he said that it is very good. He ordered all things But now these kingdoms arise in opposition to God, undoing uh, his good work by by way of decreation. And yet, in the midst of it, we saw how though these beasts are powerful and ferocious, opposed to God and his people, they are nevertheless controlled still by the God of heaven, and they ultimately will be condemned. And so the fact that they are controlled becomes all the more clear in verses 9 through 12, uh, which are going to be the main focus of our sermon today. Now, we also have the Lord's Supper, and we also have that quick uh, vote right after the service, so I'm hoping to keep the sermon pretty concise and short, but as I joked to somebody before the service, I also might have had one too many shots of espresso this morning, (laughs) so we'll see how that goes. Uh, But Daniel chapter 7, we'll read the whole chapter, but again, focus mostly on verses uh, 9 through 14. This is the holy and inspired word of God. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. 
A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. We'll actually end our reading of God's word there. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this vision that Daniel receives begins with a very chaotic scene. Again, depicted in terms of the great sea, but not a sea that it's calm, but a sea that, um, over which a great storm has descended. The sea uh, is reeling and rocking the people upon it all over the place. And out of this sea, as the waves reach to the heavens and go down to, the, uh, to hell itself, um, out of them emerges these four beasts, symbolic of the chaotic scene of the nations of this earth. The nations of this earth are never at peace. They're never still. They're never quiet. They're on the move. They're on the prowl as depicted by these great beasts. It's why even in our own looking back at history, maps are never permanent, right? Maps are always changing because borders are changing and nations are changing and things are always being thrown around. And it seems, if you were merely to look at the sea, that the world is just a great chaos of beast after beast arising. Whether it was in Daniel's day of the Babylonian Empire that was ruling uh, the area, or the, the later kingdoms that were to come, the Medes and the Persians, the great empire of Greece with Alexander the Great, as swift as a leopard, conquering lands. And yet Greece fell and the, came the Roman Empire with the Caesars, also ruling with an iron fist. Chaotic nations are, have arisen since then. Ones compared to beasts, think of the Soviet Union and others from uh, even more recent, right? The world as a sea of nations is always moving, never still, never at peace, and there's nothing but chaos. And for those who are caught up in it, we could lose all hope, lose all stability to life. And, and often that's what the news reports around us try to play on, right? To kind of hype you and to over... Um, uh, to get you excited about things, so that we're always looking for the new story and trying to figure out what's going on. We're afraid and fearful, and again, these are the things that the news cycles play on even today. Those, uh, and it plays on those who are simply caught up in the sea of chaos all around us. 
This very sea was described earlier in Israel's history in Psalm 2. And in many ways, what's taking place here in Daniel is just giving us a depiction of Psalm 2. There, that Psalm 2 uh, opens by saying, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It's a scene of chaos, a scene of the nations raging like the mighty ocean. And yet, Daniel does not merely give us a vision of a sea of chaos, but he shows us a place where we can look to find peace and to find stability and to be anchored even in the midst of the sea of nations that is wild and often seemingly out of control. Daniel's vision does not end with these beasts arising, but rather he raises the vision and the sight of the church. He raises your sight heavenward to see that there is one who stands over and is rather seated over the great ocean from which the beasts arise. He brings us into the very heavenly courtroom of God himself, the ancient of days, seated upon his throne. And when our eyes are fixed there, a different perspective takes over and controls our lives. No longer unstable, no longer in a frenzy, no longer panicked, but now at peace, knowing that though the waves seem ever so strong, far mightier than we could ever control, Have you ever been thrown under a riptide or crashed a wave crashing over you, right? It's stronger than you are. You could admit it. And yet greater than those, the strength of the sea is the ancient of days seated in the heavens, unpanicked, unmoved, calm and regal in his dealings. And it's that as we linger upon the ancient of days, as we think upon him and our minds are fixed there, it's then that his peace And his serenity begins to change and transform our lives as we live even amongst the sea of nations. And so as we think about this chapter, we have three points. First, we want to think about the serenity of the Ancient of Days. Secondly, the slaughtering of the beasts. And then thirdly, the sovereignty of the Son of Man. So the serenity of the Ancient of Days, the slaughtering of the beasts, and the sovereignty of the Son of Man. So first, the serenity of the Ancient of Days. Again, in total contrast to the sea below, Daniel says, I looked, in verse 9, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Again, it's a picture of calmness. It's a picture of the serenity of the Ancient of Days. Of course, the Ancient of Days is referring to God the Father seated on his throne in heaven, you might ask the question, why does Daniel speak of him as the Ancient of Days? Well, it's very likely in this vision, which is symbolic, he appears as an old man. He appears as an old man upon the throne. Now, in our day, where we have dishonored the elderly and we've overly played up youth, um, we don't really, this picture doesn't really make sense to us. But in, his, in the days of Daniel, the elderly possessed honor. 
and they possessed um, a sense of, um, of accomplishment. And so the Ancient of Days is one of unsurpassing honor and glory. He is the one who is Ancient of Days. And he stands in contrast to the beast, right? The beasts arise in a moment of time, right? The beasts come and the beasts go. The beasts have a starting point and an ending point. They're, 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 they're in flux and always moving, but the Ancient of Days is one who stands above the vicissitudes of time, the one who stands above all of the chaos and the flux. He is the ancient of days from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. His days are without number. And he is in the heavens as one more ancient than anything on the earth and therefore of greater honor, and greater authority, and greater power. And you notice also that the Ancient of Days is not in the heavens running around. He's not in the heavens trying to put out fire after fire, trying to hold all the ropes together, but rather he comes like a regal judge into his courtroom, calmly, in control, walks to his seat, and sits down. Despite the sea, of mon- the sea monsters raging on the earth below, the Ancient of Days takes his seat in regal serenity. And the reason that he's able to do this is because though these beasts may appear so strong, and though these beasts may be of an overwhelming strength compared to the people of God caught in the midst of them, the Ancient of Days stands above them as one who is far stronger, one who is sovereign even over the beasts. I read the beginning of Psalm 2 before, but we also see another uh, element of Psalm 2 pictured here. After seeing the nations raging, it says this, verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So the Ancient of Days is the one seated above the chaos below as the sovereign one whose judgments will stand. And we're given a picture of his appearance, right? Daniel, as he sees the Ancient of Days upon his throne, is captivated by the image he sees. And he reveals to us, again, in symbolic language, the appearance of the Ancient of Days. It says that his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His garments as the judge of all the earth are unstained from any unrighteousness. He is of perfect purity seated upon his throne, unstained by the things and the evils and the sins that may mark an earthly judge or may mark an earthly king and often do. Rather, he sits in pure white upon his throne. There is no blood on his hands, no unjust um, action that he has ordained, but rather he sits in perfect purity that he might render perfect judgment upon the earth. Likewise, his hair, as it says, is like pure wool, a symbol of purity and majesty. I'm often uh, throughout the scriptures, um, especially in the Old Testament, when appearances mattered a bit more under the Old Covenant. 
uh, baldness was seen as a curse of God. Uh, but here, the blessing of God is seen in this uh, full head of white hair upon his head like pure wool. Again, a symbol of his majesty and of his greatness. Not only do we see his clothing and his hair, but then we we'll also um, have described for us his throne, which is one of flames and of great fire. It says his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Throughout the Bible, uh, the fire is often associated with God's presence. Remember when he descended upon Mount Sinai and he comes with a great fire upon the top of that mountain. Or when God comes to dwell in his church on the day of Pentecost with the fire over the heads of his disciples. The presence of God is often marked by fire. It is his heavenly descent to the earth that is marked by fire. And fire best captures this imagery here of his throne because fire consumes that which it judges. It represents the power to destroy And not only the power to destroy, but fire, as it consumes something, doesn't end until that which it's consuming is fully consumed. It's fully done with. So too, the judgments that come from the throne of God are like fire that are fulfilled to their their full. Fulfilled entirely, comprehensively, perfectly. That which is decreed from the throne of God in heaven accomplishes its purpose and fire becomes the depiction of that. Um, Often as God's word is preached um, and God's word is spoken throughout the Bible as well, it's compared to fire. Again, these are issued from the very throne of God, consuming all that comes in its uh, its path. So this is the vision that Daniel sees. And he sees not only the Ancient of Days, with his clothing white as snow, his head of pure wool, his throne of flames and fire. But also he sees around his throne this incredible retinue of servants ready to do his bidding. It says a thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Now, on the one hand, the strength of the Ancient of Days upon his throne is unmatched and unparalleled. He needs no servant to carry out his bidding. And yet to exaggerate it for us, to to capture the strength of the Ancient of Days and the certainty of his decrees, we're told that around his throne again are thousands upon thousands, a countless number of servants ready to do his bidding. They stood before him. And it says, the court sat in judgment. The Lord, the Ancient of Days, is there as the Lord of hosts, uh, an image that's often used by Isaiah and throughout the prophets. As a Lord of hosts, he stands as the judge in the courtroom. And around him are these powerful servants to do his bidding. And it says that as the Ancient of Days sat, now it says the court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. You can imagine the scene. The book is brought forward, the books are open, and contained within these books are the deeds done upon the earth, which reminds us and teaches us that the Ancient of Days, as he sits in the heavens, as the king of, of the universe, as the judge of all the earth, 
he is not blind to the happenings upon his earth. He's not unaware of the beasts rising out of the sea. He, he sees them, and more than just seeing them, he remembers and will bring to account all that they have done. Now, this is specifically done with regard, uh, spoken of regarding the beasts who will be judged, right? The books were opened, that the works of the beasts, their opposition to his good order and his people uh, are known to him and will be brought to account by him. And so on the one hand, uh, he's primarily speaking about what's done on the earth, but we also see this imagery of the books throughout the Bible elsewhere. Think of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, when the books are open and all the deeds done on this earth will be um, brought to account by the ancient of days upon his throne. And so this is meant to remind us then that God will judge the earth in righteousness in the future, that God will bring to account all the deeds that have been done on this earth. Every wrong will be righted, every injustice will be punished, and that God will bring, it about, will bring about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. At present, there is unrighteousness. At present, there is injustice. At present, there is evil and wickedness. But when God judges the earth, Righteousness only will remain upon his good creation. And only those who are found in the righteousness of Christ will persist and remain to enjoy that good creation. But more than just reminding us that God, the Ancient of Days, will judge the earth in righteousness in the future, it also reminds us that as the Ancient of Days, he presently orders the state of affairs of the earth. Right, the scene of the Ancient of Days is not one that merely gives us hope for the future, though it does do that in great measure, but it also reminds us and gives us comfort in the present of saying that the present order of things, though it may seem out of control, the Ancient of Days is the one who is governing and ordering all the affairs of the earth. We saw this last week regarding the beasts, who though they seem so powerful are nevertheless leashed by the Ancient of Days in heaven. They are controlled by him. And so, in the midst of the sea of chaos all around us, in the midst of the nations never at ease, never quiet, but always on the move, we then are not to get caught up in the news cycles and in getting caught up in the frenzy all around us. But instead, we're to have our gaze set upon the Ancient of Days in heaven. And this vision has been revealed to us that we might then have the serenity of the Ancient of Days control us and our actions and our words in the present life. That we need not take our lives and our cause into our own hands, but entrust ourselves to the Ancient of Days who governs righteously over all things and will in the end vindicate his saints, his people on the face of the earth. It's easy when things seem to be going wrong to become panicked and afraid, to be unsure of things, and yet we have great assurance that though the waves crash against us, the Ancient of Days remains in the heaven. And therefore, by looking to the serenity of the Ancient of Days, amidst the sea of the nations and all of its chaos, 
a beautiful tune comes up from the church found among it. And that tune may be the sound of, this is my father's world. A beautiful tune, this is my father's world. And though the wrong off seems so strong, God is the ruler yet. That is the tune that, often, that, ought, that our lives off, ought to um, beat to. It's the, it's the tune that, often be, that ought to be in our heart. That though the nation seems so strong, though our enemies seem so powerful, though the opposition to the gospel of Christ seems so overwhelming, nevertheless, this is my Father's world, and he is the Ancient of Days. And so the Ancient of Days takes, um, uh, opens up court, books are opened, and this brings us to our second point then, the slaughtering of the beasts. In verse 11 and 12, it says, After the books are opened, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Think about the pace the narrative is told to us here, right? We have it opening up and it seems chaotic and we might think to read it very fast. Beasts are rising out of the sea. There's sea monsters and there's, there's chaos. And then we're brought to the heavens. We take a breath. The Ancient of Days walks into the court. He sits down. The books are opened. And he speaks a word of judgment. And now notice how swiftly his judgment and his decree is accomplished. As fast as when God said, let there be light, and there was light. So when God judged the beast, so immediately the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. The swiftness of the ending of the beasts is remarkable. These powerful, monstrous creatures, by a word from the ancient of days, are slaughtered, are put to death. Showing us again the sovereign control of the ancient of days over all the affairs. It's why he sits in the heavens and laughs. Who can stay his hand, as Daniel says in Daniel chapter 4? Who could stay his hand? Who could keep his hand from fulfilling his purposes? Not only is his own strength behind his decree, but even the thousands upon thousands who who live to do his bidding show us the powerful decree of the Ancient of Days that must be fulfilled. As he speaks, so the beasts are destroyed. And they're destroyed entirely. Now we're going to say more about this next week as we think about uh, the ending of the the vision in terms of the final beast and the little horn. And um, We'll say more about that next week. But you'll notice that the destruction also is total. The beast was killed its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. The very fire that proceeds from his throne consumes the beasts entirely. It is the fire judgment, as one commentator had said, E.J. Young, who has a great commentary on Daniel, if you're looking for something, he taught at Westminster. It is the fire judgment from God which completely triumphs over the fourth beast. And so... The serenity of the Ancient of Days, the swift slaughtering of the beast, showing his strength, and finally, the sovereignty of the Son of Man. And I'm going to say more about this next week, um, but we want to at least begin to think about the sovereignty of the Son of Man. The Ancient of Days 
does not merely put down these beasts, does not merely slaughter them as those who raged against him, but in the face of them and over against them, he establishes the kingdom of one like a son of man. And the language is very intentional, right? The one like a son of man certainly contrasts with these monstrous deformed beasts that arise out of the sea. These beasts, we said earlier last week, counterfeited the dominion given to the image of God, Adam, in the beginning. They counterfeited what man was to do. God had commissioned man in the beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the whole earth, and subdue it, exercise dominion over it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And man was to do that for the glory of God. Man was God's representative, his vice regent on the earth to extend the bounds of the garden that they would cover the earth and in, in so doing, the glory of God would cover the earth. That was the kind of dominion that man was to exercise. But the beasts exercised a different kind of dominion, a counterfeit dominion. Rather than seeking the glory of God, they seek their own glory. Rather than built on humility before God and his word, it's built upon pride, the pride of man. And so over against the kingdoms of the beasts, God establishes the kingdom of one like the son of man. And the Son of Man is a title that we all know, or we should know, and we know now, is one that has been uh, given to, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man more than any other title. And the, the, the source of that title comes from here, from Daniel chapter 7. But the Son of Man is the Lord Jesus Christ, so that when he comes, he says, repent for the kingdom of God and of heaven is at hand. The Son of Man comes and he brings a kingdom unlike any kingdom of this world. We're kind of brought into these, the kingdoms of the world in the narratives in Daniel 1 through 6, right? We're brought into the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. They're filled with distrust. They're filled with decrees of putting people to death. It's filled with deception and futility. All, these are the things that mark the kingdoms of the world. But the kingdom of God comes to restore all things. The kingdom of Jesus comes as the true Adam, as the true image of God. So that all who are united to him by faith begin to partake of that. He comes as the one who then after his resurrection declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the son of man who comes to the ancient of days to receive a kingdom. This is what it says in verses 13 and 14 in Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. You'll notice the passivity of the son of man. The beasts are aggressive, right? The beasts are marked by aggression. They go out and conquer. They're, they're animals of prey. But the Son of Man humbles himself to receive a kingdom. The kingdom's given to him. And I made this point in our first service, but let me say it again for those who weren't here for that. When Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In the original Greek there, the verb to give is actually the very first word. And often in a Greek sentence, if you want to italicize a word and emphasize a word, you just put it up front at the beginning of it. And so Jesus is, in, in a sense, italicizing, putting in bold the fact 
that the, all the authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And you could translate it as just saying, given to me is all authority in heaven and on earth. The emphasis being on given because I do think he is showing the difference of his authority and the difference of his kingdom over against the kingdoms of the world. Remember when Jesus, when he began his ministry, was baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, he goes into the wilderness. And there Satan tempts him after 40 days. Satan tempts him. And the third temptation in Matthew 4 is that Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I will give these to you only if you bow down and worship me. And we often think, well, the kingdoms of the world and their glory, that's what Jesus will just get after his resurrection. But no, the kingdoms of the world and their glory stand in contrast to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to bring. Because the kingdoms of the world are marked by beastly aggression. They're marked by the destruction of uh, God's good creation. Rather, Jesus receives the kingdom of heaven. He receives dominion and glory and a kingdom. And today, as he has bound Satan and the gospel is going out, he is bringing all people into that kingdom. Paul says to um, a bunch of people gathered in the city of Colossae in his day, saying that God has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, where there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul says to you who have believed in Jesus Christ here at Messiah's Reformed Fellowship, you have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of my beloved Son, where there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All who are united to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, by faith today, belong to that kingdom. And we ourselves testify to the fact that he is gathering people from all nations, from all tribes, all tongues. We ourselves here testify to the fact that God is not saving one nation or one people, but he's saving the nations. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve the Son of Man. And that unlike the dominion of the beasts that was here and then gone, his dominion is everlasting. It shall not pass away, and his kingdom won one that shall not be destroyed. This is the good sovereignty of the Son of Man. And he comes then to undo the wreckage of the beasts all over this earth. That's why Jesus performs various miracles. There's one reason why. He says the kingdom has come and he performs these miracles of healing and restoration to show that his kingdom is undoing the curse of sin, the destruction of sin, and he is making all things new. And therefore, this vision of the Son of Man and his kingdom that the Ancient of Days will establish draws our minds, and we'll conclude here, to Revelation chapter 21, as we see the consummation of that kingdom. And again, next week, we'll say a bit more about the Son of Man and his kingdom, but for now, we're going to end here with Revelation chapter 21. The Apostle John, who earlier, similar to Daniel, is brought up into the heavens to see what is behind the scenes of all the things that are happening on the earth. He sees the Ancient of Days seated upon his throne in Revelation 4 and 5. You can read those. And at the conclusion of the Ancient of Days, the opening of the scroll and the consummation of his work, John says this. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, ancient of days, we look to you as the one who is seated in regal authority and power and calmness in the heavens. Father, uh, forgive us for where we have lost sight of this and have joined the frenzy of this world. And we ask, Lord, that you would keep our eyes fixed upon you and as you sit upon your throne. May we know that you reign and rule and govern all things and that this world, though it may appear chaotic, is ultimately controlled and reigned by you, our God and our King. Thank you that you've sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection you have given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, a kingdom to which we belong today by faith. Father, thank you for the gospel of that kingdom, the good news as it has gone out. And thank you for faith to hear that message and to receive Christ as king and to belong to his kingdom. Father, if there are any here who have not come to Christ and have not been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, we pray, Lord, that you would accomplish that through the hearing and the preaching of your word today, that Christ may be glorified, that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation may join his body to offer up the praise that he deserves and to serve him as our great king. So we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his kingdom. May we live for his kingdom. May we even die for his kingdom. We pray in his name. Amen.